Welcome to the West London COP26 podcast. Broadcast from Glasgow via VentureX White City's podcast studio. Insights, best practice and actions for your business. Good morning. I'm Andrew Dakers, CEO of West London Business. Welcome to the third of our four podcasts from COP26. COP26 is the most significant global climate conference since Paris in 2015, and national representatives come together against a backdrop of the starkest warnings yet from scientists of the prospects of climate chaos if carbon emissions are not rapidly curbed. West London Business is a COP observer organisation, which means our delegation, made up of business leaders and some public sector partners, are at the heart of the conference in the Blue Zone, where the international negotiations take place. Our extensive work on climate change is rooted in WLB members' commitment to catalyse action for people and planet. Over the next 25 minutes, I'm looking forward to hearing from a few of our delegates who will give you a flavour of the atmosphere at the heart of the summit, now in its second week, as well as sharing some favourite case studies and opportunities for action in your business. My guests... Annika Bossenket, who's currently on a train traveling from um, accommodation in Edinburgh across to, um, to Glasgow this morning. Annika is founder of Repology. Um, also joining me, Professor Rob Holdway of Giraffe Innovation and Brunel University, London. As both are sustainable product design and packaging experts, you can expect this to be a recurring theme in our conversation this morning. Net zero number of the day. To get the cogs turning, uh, we always have a bit of a numbers challenge for our guests at the top of the program. So I hope you've uh, had some strong coffee this morning to uh, get uh, get those cogs turning. Um, now, wind energy generation is, of course, uh, the biggest contributor to our UK energy mix today. Over the course of a year, what percentage of our energy um, do you think is being produced by offshore and onshore wind farms? We've got three options for you. Um, option A um, is 24.1%. Don't forget that, point one. Um, option B is 17.8%. And option C, 30.2%. Um, so I'm going to turn to Annika, first of all, for your uh, your best guess on uh, what percentage of our energy is uh, is produced by offshore and onshore winds. Well, I'm ever the optimist, so I'm going to go for the highest number, and I sincerely hope that is what's happening. But I'm <laughs> sure we could do more. Okay, so Annika, option C, 30.2%. Um, Rob, what do you reckon? Well, I live in Brighton, so I can see the, uh, the offshore wind uh, turbines in the distance in the sea. Uh, 24.1, the second option. Well, I have to say, um, clearly you Brightonians uh, on, 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 on the stats and uh, you've got the right answer there, uh, Rob. Um, What's my prize, you... Andrew? <laughs> well, <laughs> given we're on a budget at West London Business, it's, if, if you haven't yet already been given a, a West London lapel pin, then one is coming your way. But uh, I've, I've just hope... been awarded it. And <laughs> it's Mark carbon Mark's. neutral as well, so it's all good. <laughs> there you go. Good, good. Um, and a bit more background um, for, for anyone that's uh, sort of been intrigued. Um, 13% of, uh, of the UK's um, electricity is coming from offshore wind, 11.1% um, um, onshore, um, and that gives us the, the com combined figure um, of 24.1%, um, which, which translates into 75.7 um, terawatts 
um, of, of generation. Um, so very um, significant uh, now. And it's 43% of the nation's electricity um, being met by sources um, from wind to solar and, and biogas. So that's, the, that's our renewable energy base today. Cop catch up. We're now almost halfway through week two and the clock is ticking. Diplomats have been hammering out rules around international carbon markets and trying to figure out how to deliver on the still unmet promise from more than a decade ago to deliver 100 billion annually by 2020 to help poor countries pivot away from fossil fuels and prepare for the impact of climate change. Most critically, vulnerable countries are pressing major emitting nations to agree to increase their climate targets each year in order to keep global temperatures from heading past 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to levels before the Industrial Revolution. Negotiations continue, and Barack Obama delivered a keynote yesterday to a packed conference hall aimed at bringing new momentum to the negotiations and urging negotiators to aim high. Critical negotiation points are now um, around when should countries return to the table, the so-called ratchet, um, and specifically um, looking at regulations on how countries measure and report their emissions, um, whether and how carbon trading can play a role in how countries meet their commitments under Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, as well as how countries can be helped to adapt to the impact of the climate crisis and how they can receive financial help for any impact too great to be adapted to. This is known as um, loss and damage. Poor countries have called for countries that have failed to come up with national plans on cutting greenhouse gas emissions in line with limiting temperature rises to 1.5 degrees to be forced back to the negotiation table every year from now on. And the Climate Vulnerable Forum, made up of 55 developing countries most affected by the consequences of the climate crisis, has called for a Glasgow emergency pact from the summit which would include a requirement from all countries for annual reporting on emission reductions on a voluntary basis. For listeners that want to zoom in close on the outline text for a so-called cover decision um, from the COP26 um, conference, um, we'd recommend following Dr. Sim Simon Evans, who's deputy editor at the Carbon Brief uh, on Twitter. Beyond the heart of the negotiations, the State of the Cryosphere report caught our eye. This new report, um, reviewed and supported by nearly 50 leading cryosphere scientists, over half of them IPCC authors, details how a combination of melting polar ice sheets, vanishing glaciers and thawing permanent rapid, irreversible and disastrous effects on the Earth's population. Now, on, on that cheery note, I'm going to bring Annika and Rob back in. Um, for your take um, on, on the summit um, so far, I think yesterday was your first day on the ground um, in the blue zone for our delegation. Um, Annika, what, what did you make of it? Well, um, so the point is, is that we all need to communicate, that we all have to do our bit to reach these uh, net zero emissions. And um, I'm going to borrow the vocabulary from the European Space Agency um, where they talk about evidence, explore and educate. And I'm going to add my own there, which is execute. Um, we all know that the, um, the biggest uh, cause of CO2 is the burning of fuel fossils, is the biggest contributor. 
So what I saw yesterday was how much of climate impact there has been on indigenous uh, societies who have had really no um, cause to create any of this climate uh, mess. They are climate vulnerable for extreme floods, um, extreme fires, extreme droughts. And we heard yesterday at the early part of the day, um, a couple of showcases from Kenya and also from India, where what they talked about was that the policies that are made by the leaders at the top were then being supported very much in the local wards and communities throughout to support, in the case of our Indian contingent, 500,000 women who were able to take the resources and be able to um, develop their agriculture to create more subsistence for um, food for their families and also for managing water scarcity and from that improve the health and livelihoods of, of the local people. Um, because they're the people who are managing everything that happens on the ground. So what they were calling for was, number one, can the leaders please deploy those resources? And number two, can they please be allowed to be educated and trusted to then put them into effect? And we had exactly the same story from a contingent from Kenya, who also taught the same um, message home which was that they were able to react very quickly to install a dam and that made a transformative um, impact on the local community. So I think what I really heard yesterday, Andrew, is that um, communities is where the biggest change will happen. And um, once the policy has been identified and then uh, agreed to release that, um, uh, that source of um, uh, resources or support, let's, let's leave it to the communities then to execute it. And, and, and of change course, will and, follow. And, and of course, right now it is, you know, some of the, the poorest communities, developing countries that find themselves the most climate vulnerable. Um, but I suppose those those of us that are um, in a, living in a develop, developed country context can't be complacent when we look at the, the data. Um, you know, this is coming our way um, very, very fast. Um, Rob, what, what's been your initial um, impression of the summit? Well, well. F firstly, the energy and spirit, and there seems to be a general consensus that uh, that uh, climate change is a the central issue, and um, just in the quality of the people here, whether they're policymakers, corporates, people dealing with SMEs, small medium-sized enterprises, and also design, technology, engineering, and science. So, so when you get the kind of like cumulative uh, brain power of all these different elements. Um, then I think, I think it's been very positive. So, you know, the key themes about mitigation of climate change, reducing the life cycle impact of products, services, and organizations and communities and cities. Adaptation obviously is crucial because climate change is, is uh, evident. And then resilience. So, you know, how, how can we build resilience within the communities as well? So it's as much cultural, anthropological, and um, social as it is actual technical. So there's been some very, very good um, evidence-based um, information here. And you mentioned the cryosphere, the Bolin Center um, um, Environment Institute's um, uh, cryosphere report. So there's some nice data that's been extremely well visualized as well. So it's extremely engaging, informative, and um, quite inspirational, actually. And I suppose to some extent, anyone's guess um, at this point in, in week two as to exactly where the um, the sort of summit, um, some negotiated text is is going to land. There was a, a, some some talk, I think, over the past 24 hours as to whether um, Boris Johnson might uh, return to Glasgow to try and galvanise the the conversations um, further. We've obviously had um, Barack Obama um, jo join the the discussions um, yesterday. Um, 
one of the idea that the ideas that's getting more of an airing at the moment in, in in the UK is this idea of a carbon border tax. And if, if we can't at this point in time persuade um, some of the world's worst emitters, um, Australia, China, um, to, uh, to you know to, to introduce um, an accelerated transition, maybe we should have you know a, a carbon tax on on the products that we're that we're importing from those na nations. What what's what's your take on on that approach, Annika? Well, the first thing I would say is that. Um, even before that, we can all make an impact. And I'm sure none of us flew to Glasgow because that would be a real um, indictment that things aren't kind of being rolled out as they should do. Um, and when I asked a couple of primary school children this morning, what do you think we should feed back to some of these decision makers? They simply said, fly less and drive less. And if we think about um, in the UK in particular, 70% of the UK flights are taken by 15% of the UK population. And as we know, a long haul flight is uh, dropping around about 8.8 .8 tonnes of carbon emissions. And that is equivalent to a total annual usage by a British person not flying. It's tremendous. So before we even go onto the faces of industry, we have to look at our own behaviours. Um, but in direct answer to that question, what I would say is that um, it's very much let's act in what we want our policies to do. So China has got a very, very ambitious plan and they communicate it very clearly, especially through their communication yesterday of the Shenzhen Garden City, which was only 41 years old. It started as a fishing village in southern China and uh, we do an awful apology within Shenzhen. We've got an office there and on the, on the face of it is very much a garden city. Um, but as we know, although the city is very much um, there to bring change about and it's supposed to be a pinnacle of, 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 of a green city where they've talked about that the 17 and a half million people that live there should have extreme low carbon technology and 70% of, of their electricity comes from green, green power and green sources. We know that they've had three days a week or so of shutdown of all factories because of the, um, the, the coal situation. So I'd like to see a little bit more transparency about um, what people want to do and what governments are actually doing before we get to that point of installing a carbon tax. Well, I suppose you also highlight there in, in your reflections, Annika, just the bump, the bumpy nature of this very complex transition that we're trying to pull off um, from, from fossil fuels to, to renewable energy sources and, and the, the challenges that presents to, to business continuity if the power doesn't stay on. Um, Rob, what's, what's your take on, on the carbon border tax option? Um, well, taxation is quite a blunt instrument, isn't it? And it only, only works if everyone takes part. It's a bit like the EU ETS emission trading scheme and some of the stuff that the, uh, the marine industry looked at as well. If you, they don't all take part, you can then navigate to routes that aren't in the tax regime. So it does require global consensus. So um, ambitious and why not? But um, I, I think there's, there's other things that can be done. And obviously, uh, like West London Business, like at Brunel, University and the Co-Innovate program. We work a lot with SMEs. We have an international cohort of students that go off and design products around the world, etc. So our sphere of influence is quite, quite powerful in that regard. And if you think about the supply chain, you know, you might be designing or specifying products, processes, services in the UK, but you have a choice of where you can get them from. So if, for instance, Saudi Arabia don't want to sign up to the targets in the way that we might um, hope they do, 
um, you can choose where you specify your resins from, for instance, and they might not come from a particular company um, that is owned by that country or part of that country. So I think the market can have a, a massive influence here. So even the, even for small, medium-sized enterprises, all the design decisions they're making, all decisions about their business, you know, that that's part of the global supply chain. And and you know they make up over what 50% of our gdp so they have quite a quite a big say in uh, in some of the uh, decisions and i think i think that's happening in larger corporates as well they're deciding where they procure from what they procure and how they how they choose countries that maybe share the values of what we're trying to achieve at cop and i think that 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 will be massive and if, and if if there is a tax that comes in as well that's obviously a blunt blunter instrument i think the market will have a big, big influence on that and both of you, of course, on the front line of, of you know, directly or indirectly sourcing um, sustainable materials. Um, it's two years you know, that have now passed since the last COP. Um, what's your take in, you know, between you know, the, the COP25 and COP26 as to the progress that's been made in two years, you know, two years in, including a pandemic, um, on, on, on sustainable materials? What, what's your feeling, Annika? Um, I think a huge amount of change of behavior has happened. Uh, so a conference like this, although it might seem in the face of it that not enough has been done quickly enough, changes in social behavior are very, very evident. And we found that with our buyers from industry, they're now very, very receptive to us um, planning at the very start of their um, packaging journey, how to use uh, processes and materials which are much more sustainable. Um, rather than just um, saying that's that's quite awkward to bring it in at this stage, let's look at it next year. So a huge change, um, and we welcome this by industry in terms of their considerations and evidencing what choices they're making for their companies. And that's re really encouraging. And, and, and Rob, is that e echoing what you're you're, you're experiencing? Uh, certainly. I mean, one, one of the key themes here is about evidence-based approach. So a lot of my world, world is life cycle analysis and actually modeling global supply chain and materials and obviously informing our students at Brunel and the SMEs we work with. And one good example of, of this evidence-based approach is the work we did with Better Futures Plus um, um, run by West London Business um, and working with great companies like Collective Works, Architectural Practice, who are looking at, you know, how can they specify, meet the REBA targets for net zero, but also how can they use their design and material selection to the best effect, not only in embodied carbon, also in use. So give it, giving bright architects the skills and tools through Better Futures Plus to actually inform design decisions. Similarly with um, Chargebox, another London-based um, SME, you know, absolutely looking at the impact of their material selection and also Swisspack, another packaging company based in London through the Better Futures program that we're looking at the carbon impact of not only the materials, but the supply chain. So I'm, it doesn't. I'm going to always... cut you short there, Rob. I'm going to probe you more on both of those in, oh, right, in, okay. in, ju in just in just a moment. Okay, um, cool. but, but I'm taking quite, quite a sense of optimism from, from both of you in terms of what what's now possible and being achieved. Um, on, on the sustainable materials front. Um, a quick reminder for our listeners, um, from the conference as a whole, um, the UK government um, set out with the ambition of consigning coal to history, accelerating the electric vehicle transition, curtailing deforestation and tackling methane emissions. Over the next few days, the UK will be putting the spotlight on gender, transport, um, cities, regions and the built environment, as well as science and innovation. So stay tuned. Top Cop Goss.
Gillian Tett of the FT has put the spotlight on the world's auditors and accountants. Um, she observes climate change action is about to expose corporate auditors to an uncomfortable and unaccustomed level of scrutiny as companies face growing pressure to come clean about their carbon emissions. The problem for auditors is that the framework for measuring how companies are doing um, is still undefined despite efforts to create more clarity and consistency. Rarely has the profession been asked to make such slippery calls at a time when the stakes are so high. If just the mention of audit sends shivers down your spine, um, then best head to Glasgow's SWG3 nightclub to warm up. A retrofit ahead of COP26 has seen the venue SWG3 implement a geothermal heat pump system known as body heat. The system is designed to suck up the heat generated by thousands of dancing clubbers, store it at depth via a dozen 150-metre boreholes and pump it back into the venue when required. The club estimates the system will save 70 tonnes of CO2 per year. Now, I'm just wondering, as I gather our delegation had a bit of a late night uh, last night, um, did you manage to sneak into SWG3, Rob? Yeah, I think I contributed about 50 of those tons of uh, CO2. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting one. But uh, no, no, unfortunately, I was too, uh, too busy, um, Andrew. I didn't go. But <laughs> next time in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, next, next trip to Glasgow. Yes. London's Net Zero Heroes. So at this point in the uh, in the programme, we always like to introduce um, some of London's uh, heroes. And uh, first of all, we're going to turn to Annika um, to tell us a bit about um, a project called um, Safe in the City that I suppose um, reminds us of the, the fundamentals of Maslow's hierarchy of needs when it comes to climate change. Um, you know, you're simply not going to be worrying about the climate um, unless you feel safe on our streets um, first. So Annika, please tell us more. So Safe in the City is uh, one of the businesses that I really, really liked because digital transformation and everything that we do is going to become ever more evident if it isn't already. And it plays a huge part within um, us tackling climate change through evidencing um, what's happening, how our, um, our own impact can then um, affect others around us. And Safe in the City is really encouraging us to um, be part of nature and to get ourselves out of the cars, uh, socialise outside and not be worried to do so. I think we've all been aware of some of the um, issues around, um, certainly around women's safety and being out and about. And this app has got really, really good navigation to be able to report when you might see an incident, to be able to say to somebody and um, through the app that you're leaving home and where you're going to end up and roughly what kind of time you should be there. So it really does take all uncertainty out of the journey that you might have or as much as you can possibly have it. So I really, really take my hats off to these guys and I certainly will be using it. Thank you for that tip, Annika. And, and listeners wanting to find out more um, can go to www.safeandthecity.com. Now, from the Better Futures Plus programme, um, we have um, one awesome company called um, Chargebox, um, which, Rom, I think you've been working with intimately over the past um, six months to help them on their um, transition to, to net zero. Um, can you give us a quick flavour of what, what that's involved? 
Yeah, so, so Char- Chargebox is a London-based SME. They've been working on the Better Futures Plus program. And, and Ian Hobson, the CEO, wanted to really understand more about the environmental impact of his products, you know, these patented key-based secured lockers where you can put your phone in, obviously it will charge and you, you know it's secure um, in public environments, etc. So he wanted to know, what, you know what's the environmental impact of the design, the materials, the in-use stage, and some of the, the data that he's getting as well from the, uh, the connected devices. Um, so we were helping him modeling, model, model that um, and get an evidence base or the baseline from which he can then make future design decisions. So without that program, obviously, where SMEs don't have those skills internally, Ian doesn't know, you know how to do it um, to the standards required. So the program enabled us to, um, to give him that, that kickstart in that area. And, 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 it's, and it's where you bring this approach of LCA, life cycle analysis, to bear. Yeah, it's a stream, streamlined lifecycle analysis because obviously the, the, sc- the scope, etc. But it gives, it gives him that it gives him the right direction and that baseline. So if he does want to go scope three, net zero in the, in the products as well, which of course more organisations are asking for, um, he has he has an idea of what the scale of that might mean. And then what's really nice, and this is about driving innovation. The key theme, obviously, of COP is about innovation. Um, and obviously, I'm, at Brunel, we are, you know, I work on a program called Co-Innovate, which is about linking SMEs with, with Brunel's great academics and students. And, you know, now, now I'm talking to Ian about setting a design project for the um, MSc design students and looking at the undergraduate design students on embedded systems as well, technologies that he can make his um, automate and make, make his machines and products more intelligent. So so that, that, that collaboration between West London Business Better Futures Plus, Brunel University and our, and our students and Chargebox um, re- really is, is giving him that, that future direction. So it's very exciting, really. That, that, that's brilliant to hear. And, and for viewers, listeners wanting to um, find out more about that, uh, that journey that Chargebox are, are on, um, visit Better futures.london um, and dip into the net zero heroes section of the website race to zero Annika, in our first podcast, um, we heard from Amelia about the Climate Essentials tool, which helps small to medium-sized businesses baseline their carbon footprints and plan their transition to net zero. Um, In the second podcast, um, we explored um, the quick win that um, for many is that switch from ground energy off-grid to to green um, energy. But today, um, you're going to bring the need for change to to curb our carbon-intensive lifestyles back to a a personal level um, and tell us a bit about um, a tool that's caught your eye um, on the Donation um, website. T- tell us more. Oh, this was just um, a link that I was sent through my network as a pledging site because we have lots of uh, personal needs to be able to. Sometimes, I don't know if you feel this, Andrew, but sometimes you just feel quite hopeless and you can't think of anything that you can do. It's all to do with governments and industry. And what can you as an individual or as a family do to make a difference? And I can tell you why it starts at home. And uh, in, uh, not in the words of Barack Obama's closing statement yesterday, when he said that children should remain angry, I believe that children and families should remain hopeful. Uh, hope is what it's all about. And I hope that uh, everybody will give this website a go. Um, this is basically make a pledge. So pick an action from one of their um, um, tools there. So I'm going to give you five. Uh, I'm going to give you three, Andrew. Would okay. you like to veg out? Hopefully, like we, can re- hopefully we can remember three. So give us the first. Remember three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So um, I heard you say before, veg out, make meat a treat. So shall we assume that that's the one that you're going to go for over the next couple of months? 
I'm, I'm up if for it. it. Is, I'm up for it. If it is, I'm going to press that tab and it says, right, we've decided to veg out. Pledge it now. And it says here little things like make meat a treat. OK, when you pledge that, there's some really good facts around this, such as the impact on climate change. Which, so I'm going to go straight onto that. And what they say straight away is cows burp a lot and pigs eat a lot. A whopping 26 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions are from the food we eat. And then this website goes very clearly into the breakdown. It's extremely easy for anybody from a primary school age upwards to understand that what they do has a direct impact on the rest of the world around us. It's a super, super tool. You can, there's nice pictures on there. You can then log to make sure that over the next couple of months, if that's what you, is that what you pledged, you know, you're gonna eat meat, completely stop it or just have it twice a week and you'll see automatically what your carbon impact will be so, so, I so, think so we made it we made, we made our first pick of making me a tree i'm i'm gonna make a second pick of uh, of on your bike um pedal your way around which uh, mo most folk will know i'm already already pretty pretty keen <laughs> on um what, what what's what's your third um top top tip um well i went for uh tap it and drink tap and use a bottle. So I'm going to pledge that one now. And in terms of tap it, we talk very much there about waste. Water management is a very big feature here at COP26. And it talks there about um, plastics, which can be recycled and bottles that can be used of reusable plastic. And it goes into great detail about that. They say here 480 billion plastic drinks bottles were sold globally in 2016. That is an awful lot of bottles. So what can you do? Can you go to school with your own bottle and fill that up from home? Um, you know, it's small things like that that make a huge, huge difference. And I know it's really easy when you're out and about and you think, this, I'm thirsty, I'll just go in and buy um, you know, myself a bottle. But someone's got to get rid of that. Absolutely. Someone else has got to make it. And the world has got, the planet has got to find the resources in the first place to satisfy Ab your laziness. Ab absolutely. Uh, uh, forever reminding folk that in, you know, in West London alone, our kind of core seven boroughs, we're a population of, of two million. Um, so you know, if our two million residents, many of whom are already taking these steps um, to do it together, um, our collective impact um, will, will be will be vast. Now, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for our listeners to find um, the right bit of the donation um, website. Um, so you can go to tinyurl.com forward slash Glasgow pledge, and you'll find um, this sort of actions tool um, within the donation um, website. Now, a bit like this time poor conference, um, we're unfortunately out of time on today's um, podcast. So I'd just like to say a huge thank you to my guests, um, Annika Bossenket, um, founder of Repology, um, Professor Rob Holdway of Giraffe Innovation and Brunel University, London. Um, and thank you also, of course, to my um, production team here at West London Business, um, Amelia, Rohan, Barney and Joel. Um, please join us again on Friday at 11 a.m. Um, for our podcast um, from Glasgow, as the summit draws to its critical close. Today's podcast was produced by West London Business in partnership with VentureX White City. Visit www.betterfutures.london for London businesses seeking support on how to go green.